continue our study through 2 Corinthians. And last week we looked at verses 1 through 6 of chapter 4. And we talked about real ministry. What is real ministry? And, and we, we got some great insights into the characteristics of real ministry from Paul. What, what makes up real ministry? And, and then we saw the battle against real ministry. Uh, and then how to move forward in real ministry. And, you know, I don't often do this. I know a lot of the ladies were, were at the, the women's retreat and some, you know, people were gone. Um, I encourage you to, to get a CD of last week. Uh, I really shared my heart, shared uh, the direction I think uh, our church is going and, and what God's doing in my life personally. So if you weren't here, grab a CD uh, or you can, um, you know, go to the website, uh, calvarycrookcounty.com. And um, if you scroll down just a little bit on the homepage, every week we, we put the, the latest Wednesday and Sunday message on there. So, um, you know, that's another way. And uh, if you have high speed, it's it's pretty easy. If, if you've got dial-up, then you'd probably be better off to get a CD. So, um, anyway, um, this morning I, I want to talk a little bit about um, ministry as well and and just sort of kind of a, an outflow of last week's message. Because one of the themes of the New Testament, and certainly one of the main topics in 2 Corinthians, is this idea that every believer is a minister. It's a, it's a main topic of the Bible, that every believer is a minister. And as believers in Jesus Christ, we are called to minister to people. And that word minister, it just means a servant. You know, oftentimes I go to hospitals or I go to do a funeral for maybe somebody that isn't in this church. And, you know, they'll, they'll ask me, are you the minister? And, or are you a minister? And, and, you know, I know what they mean, but I chuckle to myself because that word is not some glorious title. In fact, in the, in the Bible, it means an under rower. It was the slaves at the bottom of the ship that would be rowing the boat. And, you know, they would be being treated terribly and, and it was not a, a very glorious job at all. And that's sort of the idea of what God has called us to do, is to be servants, to be under rowers. And it's not really a suggestion in the Bible. You know, like, hey, if you get some time, if if your schedule gets freed up a little bit, you know, maybe you ought to think about serving. No, it's actually a natural byproduct of our relationship with Jesus. It just flows forth, or at least it should flow forth from our relationship with Christ. Peter put it this way, as each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. We talk about being good stewards, and it's a good thing to be good stewards of your money. And it's something that, you know, you hear a lot about, books are written about it. But how about being a good steward of the gifts that God has given you? Because we've each, as Peter says, been given a gift. We've each received a gift. It's not maybe you have or if you received a gift, but because you have received one, you ought to be using it. And you guys, each one of us is going to stand before the Lord in what is called the Bema Seat Judgment. Now, don't get that confused with the judgment seat of Christ that's found in Revelation chapter 20. That's for unbelievers, and hopefully none of us will stand before that. 
But there's also what's called the judgment seat of Christ or the Bema seat of Christ. And that's for believers. And each one of us will stand before that judgment. And we will give an account for what we did with what God gave us. Now, some of us have been given a lot of gifts. And we are held to a a very high standard. Some of us maybe have just one gift. And, you know, we're held to that standard. But we are going to give an account for what we gave. We're not going to be compared with somebody else. But we will be asked to give an account for the gifts that God has given us. And I don't want to stand there having to explain to God why I didn't use what He gave me. Why that I wasn't a good steward of His riches in Christ. And I would think that none of us want to have to give that kind of an account. So with that in mind, let's open our Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, we're going to look at verses 7 through 15 this morning. And I want us to notice three things in our text. First, we're going to see Paul's description of a minister in verse 7. Paul's description of a minister. Then we're going to see Paul's ministry experience, verses 8 through 12. And then Paul's keys to continuing in ministry, verses 13 through 15. So first of all, verse 7, Paul's description of a minister. Let's read it together. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. And so here's Paul's description of a minister. And it probably is not the description that we would necessarily think. Paul says, as we have this treasure. What treasure is he talking about? Well, he's speaking here of the amazing gospel message that's described for us in chapter 3 as Paul introduced the fact that we have been given the ministry of life, that we've been given the new covenant, that no longer do we approach God with sacrifice, no longer do we approach God with a veiled face, no longer do we have to go into the temple, but we can commune with God anywhere at any time. And this is the the glorious message that we've been given. And it's, call a treasure here. And what does God choose to contain this beautiful treasure in? This glorious gospel message that Jesus came to save sinners and that we can have right relationship with God. What does He choose to contain this treasure in? An awesome gold treasure chest? A armored safe? I mean, that's what I would be putting it in. But no. God puts this treasure in common clay pots. He says He puts this treasure in earthen vessels. These earthen vessels, of course, are just simply clay pots. And they were the throwaway containers of the ancient world. They were used to store and transport water, oil, grains, wine, and sometimes even family treasures. They were a part of Everyday life. They were common like fast food containers are today. I mean, we don't often, you know, collect or, you know, really care a whole lot about like Big Mac boxes or, you know, soda containers that you get at McDonald's. 
I mean, they might end up on your floorboard and roll around for a while until you get tired of them or you kick it out the door, you know, or throw it out the door, which is what some people do. But, you know, we don't really put a lot of value or um, treasure into those things. And that was sort of the analogy that Paul is using as he's talking about who we are. He's just saying, you know, we're just common, everyday clay pots. Just fragile people. And these clay pots, they were easily broken and they were easily replaced. It wasn't like they were valued or treasured highly in that society. And it was these common clay pots that Paul uses to illustrate what a minister is. He doesn't say we're some great treasure chest. He doesn't say we're an armored safe that's so strong and so sturdy. He says you're a clay pot. Easy to break. Kind of ugly. You know, fragile. Just common. And a minister, that is each one of us, you guys, is is not extremely talented, is not necessarily wonderfully qualified. A minister is just a regular person who's been blessed to contain the most awesome treasure in the world, the gospel. That's who we are. We're not highly qualified. We're not extremely talented. We're just clay pots. And the reason for that is very simple. And Paul gives us the reason for that. is so that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. In other words, the reason why God chose to put His amazing treasure into us which is a question that I ask myself often. God, why would you use me? There's got to be a thousand ways that would be more effective. I mean, I could just think of a couple if you're interested. You know, how about once a year, you just shout from the heavens the gospel message. Once a year, whether people need it or not, you know, it'll kind of hit the new people or the people that were not paying attention last time. And, you know, just keep everybody reminded and... I mean, man, everybody would get saved. It'd be a lot more effective than than my voice. Or, or how about sending an angel? I'm sure you got a few that you know aren't that busy. You know, send them down here, and I'm sure they could be a lot more effective than us. But that's not how God wanted to do it. God chose to use common, fragile, ugly pots. God puts His treasure in these earthen vessels, in these clay pots you and I, so that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. That way there's no mistaking the source of the message. There's no mistaking where the power comes from. There's no mistaking who it is that's accomplishing this. And when there is a mistake, when it isn't so evident, that's when there's a problem. When you become the treasure, when you become the focus, when you become more important than what God is doing, then God will have to eliminate us from ministry. Because think about it like this. If you gave somebody a gift and they were just like, wow, this is amazing. Some of you ladies, you know, you wrap stuff and, and you spend more money on the wrapping than, in it, than you do on the, the gift itself, you know. And there's just this elaborate wrapper and and. and paper and whatever else is on it. And they're just like, wow, this is amazing. And they put it on their shelf and you thought, well, that's kind of weird, you know, but they didn't open it. And then six months later, you come back and there it is, still unopened. You're like, 
Are you going to open that gift or what? Oh, no, I mean, the wrapping is way too beautiful. The, the, the package that it comes in is amazing. You would be kind of, you know, saddened by that because it's the gift inside that should be the focus. And too often, we become the focus. The container, the clay pot, the thing that is just supposed to hold the treasure becomes the focus and it grieves the heart of God. Because it ought to be Him that's the focus. He should be the one that is shining through us. And you guys, this principle, this principle that God uses weak, fragile clay pots so that He can receive the glory, so that He's the focus, it's foundational to our understanding of ministry. Because our weakness displays the power of God. That's what Paul is saying here. Our weaknesses are not a hindrance to God in ministry. In fact, they allow us to be effective in ministry. Paul puts it like this in chapter 12. My grace is sufficient for you, Jesus speaking to him. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Paul says, look, I use my weaknesses as a way to glorify God. My weaknesses actually serve to make me a more effective minister. It's an amazing paradox, but it's foundational to our understanding of ministry. Don't allow your weaknesses to keep you from ministry. Allow your weaknesses to make you an effective minister. That's the point here. So we, we see what a minister is. We're just clay pots. We're broken. We've got holes. We've got weaknesses. But God wants to use us. And some of us, we need to be shattered. We need to be broken and then put back together. And yeah, if you've ever put a clay pot back together, they never go back together right. You're going to see cracks. You're going to see holes. You're going to see weaknesses in that clay pot. And you know what? That's some of our life. God had to, to break us. And you know what? We, you can tell. There's, there's a brokenness about you. But that brokenness actually serves to shine the light of Jesus more effectively. God doesn't need wonderful containers. God doesn't need beautiful containers. What He has to give is beautiful and awesome. And He wants to use you and He wants to use me. But just like the clay pots of that day, they were replaceable. They were common. And, and I don't want to discount the value of the human life, but I want to say this, is that you're replaceable. And I'm replaceable. We're no big deal. you got to understand that. You're not a big deal. You're replaceable. God doesn't need you. God doesn't need me. And when you begin to think that you're irreplaceable, that God could not do what He's doing without you, it's a quick trip to the shelf until God finds you broken and usable again. you got to get out of the way. And let Him work through us. And let His treasure be the focus of our life. Let's look a little bit at Paul's ministry experience in verses 8 through 12. 
in verses 8 and 9, Paul gives us some good news and then some bad news. It's kind of like, what do you want first? You know, there's some good news here. There's some bad news here. Let's read verses 8 and 9. We are hard pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Amazing verses of Paul's ministry experience. He says, this is what I went through. Four experiences that I went through as I sought to bring this treasure through my earthen vessel. As I sought to to bring this treasure to a lost and dying world. There were some major, major difficulties that I encountered. There are really four contrasts given to us to give us an idea of how God makes us usable. Because we, we look at a clay pot, we look at our life, and we think, well, that's not very usable. Well, here's how God makes us usable. He gives us four things here, four experiences that Paul went through. First of all, he says, I was hard-pressed, but not crushed. And each time, each of these experiences... I'm going to read them the way Paul put it, and then I'm going to kind of just put it in everyday language. Paul says he was hard-pressed but not crushed. We might say he was squeezed but not squashed. He was squeezed but not squashed. Hard-pressed, it's literally hunted. That's the idea here. Paul was hunted down by his enemies like a cougar stalking its next meal. It's the kind of uh, picture that ought to come to your head. You remember in Acts 23, there were 40 men that conspired together to not eat or drink until they murdered Paul. I mean, think about that. If there were 40 people who said, I'm not going to eat, I'm not going to drink until I kill you, that would create some stress. That would create some some squeezing in your life, some pressure. But Paul said, I didn't allow this to drive me insane. I didn't allow this to take me out of ministry. I wasn't going to be squashed with stress. I still serve the Lord despite the opposition. You guys, don't let the enemy disqualify you from ministry by making you so consumed with self-pity, with worry, with stress, with anxiety, and with fear. You know how many people are on the sidelines watching other people minister, watching other people be used by God, meanwhile they're just standing around because they're fearful, because they're consumed with self, because they're anxious, because they're worried. And God says, I can't use you. You're consumed with yourself. All you talk about is what happened to you in 1987 or your first marriage or your childhood or your kids, or this, and and you're not moving forward. You're not going anywhere. You're consumed with it. And until you get beyond that, you are not only unusable for me, but you're a danger to me because you're misrepresenting me. Because I want to give you peace, and yet you're a basket case. You're not representing what my Holy Spirit can do in your life. Paul says, look, I was squeezed. To the point, you guys, that none of us will ever even imagine. He was hunted by men like a cougar hunting its next meal. And yet Paul said, there's no way I was going to let that take me out of ministry. I was going forward. I was moving ahead. 
It's a huge lesson for you and for me. Paul says, I was perplexed, but not in despair. We might say he was confused, but he refused to call it quits. He was confused. He was perplexed. The difficulties that Paul experienced were confusing to him. No doubt about it. He didn't understand the purpose behind all of it. You know, we, we say, and, and it's, it's a scripture and it's biblical, but sometimes we can use it as a cliche when people are going through hard times. We say, look, God means it for good, bro. God's going to work it out. For those that love Him and are called according to His purpose, God's going to work it out. And you know what? It's truth. But sometimes you don't sense it. You don't know it. You don't understand the purpose behind it. And you, you know what? You may never. But don't call it quits because you don't understand what God's doing. Paul refused to do that. He said, I don't know everything that God's doing. I know He's got a plan. I know He has a purpose. And I'm going to fall back on that. You guys, this is highly important for you in your life and in your walk with the Lord. When you don't understand something, always fall back on that which you do understand. There's a lot in this life that you're not going to understand. But there's some very simple things that you need to understand. That you have to understand. And that is that God has your best interests in mind. He has your best interests in mind. No matter what's going on in your life, it was filtered through His love. He allowed it. Don't let people tell you that God somehow uh, just isn't in control of everything and there's certain things that just slip through the cracks. That's not my sovereign God. That's not the God that I read about in the Bible. The God that I read about in the Bible, well, you might call Him a micromanager, but He knows everything that is going on. And there's nothing that gets by Him. And everything is filtered through His love and the purpose that He has for your life. Everything. Write it on your mirror. Remind yourself of it every single day. Look at Joni Erickson Tata. She's crippled. Completely crippled. And she could be consumed with self-pity. She could say, look, forget it. My life is, is worthless. But she said, I'm going to use what this, what's happened to me for good. I'm going to use it as a blessing to other people. And when she talks about walking with Jesus, people listen. Because they say, man, if she can talk about Jesus, if she loves Jesus, then what am I doing? See, she realized she had a powerful Ability to minister to people in a, in a way that she never would have if she could walk and use her arms. She wouldn't have the powerful message that she has. You would have never heard of her. You guys, the things that you're experiencing in your life, you may not understand them, but God has a purpose. God has a plan for you. So don't call it quits. Keep pressing on. Know that God has your best interests in mind. Know that everything is filtered through His love. The third thing that Paul says, third experience that he gives to us, is that he was persecuted but not forsaken. We might say he was attacked by men but not abandoned by God. Paul was constantly being attacked by people. 
I mean, everywhere he went, Paul was being attacked. He was not winning any popularity contests. Apparently, the book, How to Win Friends and Influence People, was not one of Paul's favorites. And I don't know that it ought to be one of our favorites, because that's really not our calling. Our calling isn't to impress people. Our calling isn't to make a bunch of friends. Now, if you have a lot of friends, praise the Lord. And friends are great. Being popular isn't bad. But that's not, that shouldn't be our focus. That shouldn't be the end of all means for us. Oh, that if I could just be popular. If I could just, you know, have this great reputation. Paul was hated by his peers. He was despised by his family. He was rejected by his own people. So was Jesus. Jesus wasn't winning any popularity contests. Why do we try to win them? I don't know. It's not the heart of God. But both Jesus and Paul knew this, that God would never leave them nor forsake them. They were attacked by men, certainly, but they were never abandoned by God. You guys, being a minister for Jesus, that's what we're talking about this morning. Being a minister for Jesus may mean the loss of friends. It may mean the cold shoulder from family. It may mean being passed up for that promotion at work by somebody less qualified. But despite the rejection of men, we know that God will never turn His back on us. And I mean, wouldn't you rather proclaim Him now and face those consequences of the loss of friends or whatever else than have to stand before God and give an account for why you were ashamed and why you were afraid? I mean, in a month, we're all going to be getting together with family. And you know what? Wherever Paul went, he either created a riot or a revival. There wasn't really a whole lot of in-between with that guy. He was a lightning rod. And I'm not saying that our life has to be that controversial. But you know what? When you get together with your family, don't just try to make the peace. Say, God, I want to be used by you today here. And if Aunt Mildred kicks me out, if Uncle Fred hates me, so be it. Because I'd rather have them be mad at me than to have you disappointed with me. To stand before you and say, yeah, I know in 2006 at Thanksgiving, you gave me that opportunity at the dinner table and everybody was staring at me and I just dodged it because I didn't want to create any problems. Guys, create some problems. It's okay. You may not be the most popular, but that's not what we're here to be. Paul says, lastly, he was struck down but not destroyed. We might say he was knocked down, but not knocked out. To be struck down is a boxing phrase. It holds the idea of being knocked to the mat by a vicious blow. You remember Mike Tyson in his prime? I remember watching him as a kid, like 10 years old. I remember one time my, my friend got pay-per-view and, and we watched him fight some you know little scrawny white guy. you know. And, and I remember I ran to go to the bathroom. It was a biggest mistake because I came back and it was over. This guy was just gone, just laying on the mat, you know. Now Mike Tyson is like fighting women and fat guys and, 
you know, traveling around in bars and stuff, you know, saw him on ESPN the other night just whipping this, you know, guy that looks like he was like, you know, eating Doritos and sodas the night before. I mean, just this blubbery guy, you know, Tyson just wailing on him how far the mighty have fallen, you know. But the thing is, is that that's the image that Paul is bringing to our mind is being knocked to the mat by a heavyweight champion. Paul had been punched repeatedly in the face. You remember in Lystra, in the book of Acts, Paul was preaching the gospel. They drug him out of the city. They stoned him and they left him for dead. We're not told whether he was dead, but I have a pretty good idea he probably was. Because they stoned him. And you've got to remember, when you're talking about stones, we're not talking about little rocks. We're talking about boulders that were heaved upon people. And I'm sure that every bone in his body would have been broken, that his skin would have been just, you know, punctured and, and ripped apart. And there he was lying there at either the point of death or dead. His friends came around him and he was either revived or resurrected, one of the two. And I think at that point I would have been saying, you know, guys, this has been great. It's been a lot of fun. Uh, but I think I'm going to head back to Tarsus for a little while. Little R&R, you know. And they would have been like, Paul, you deserve it. I mean, go take a break. But no, Paul got up and he went right back in and began to preach the gospel again. That's that's crazy. I don't think I would have suggested that had I was been there. But that was Paul. That was his heart. That's what he wanted to do is to minister to people, to share the gospel. He said, look, I've been knocked down, but I've never been knocked out. I'll never allow these things to take me out of ministry. And then in verses 10 and 12, we find out the purpose for all these things. Because, you know, we're, we're reading here about the trials and the hardships and difficulties that Paul went through and that you will go through and that I will go through if we desire to be used by God. And we, we kind of wonder, well, what's the point? Why do we have to go through all these things? Well, Paul gives us the reason, verses 10 through 12. He says, Always caring about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So then death is working in us, but life in you. Amazing verses. And the idea in these verses is that if we desire to contain the life of Jesus in these clay pots, if that's what you want for your life, if you want to be a minister, then you need to die. You need to get out of the way so that Jesus can shine through you. The word death or dying in these verses, it refers not to the actual physical death, but the process of dying to self. That's the idea. We are often ineffective as ministers because there's too much of us getting in the way of Jesus. We as ministers really have two enemies. One foreign and one domestic. And the foreign enemy is the devil. And we're kind of familiar with him, but he's kind of like a foreign army. We're not really sure what kind of tactics he's going to use. Not really sure about his schemes. We know he's out there. We know he hates us. 
We know He wants to blow us up, but we're not sure how He's going to do it. But then we have a domestic enemy. And I think sometimes, kind of like in America, we blame the foreign enemy for everything, but America has problems at home. And you know what? We've got problems at home. We've got a domestic enemy that is our biggest enemy. Sometimes I think we blame the devil, and the devil's like, I haven't been to your house in a couple of years. In fact, you're not scheduled for another couple of years. And, and meanwhile, we've got all these problems, we've got this turmoil, and it's our own problem. Wayne Taylor wrote a book called The Civil War Within. I thought, such a great title. Such a great concept. Because there is a civil war going on in our hearts, in our lives. It's the battle that Paul describes in Galatians chapter 5 between the flesh and the spirit. And it's happening right now, whether you're aware of it or not. There's bombs going off. There's grenades. There's hand-to-hand combat going on in your heart. And if we are not allowing that flesh to be crucified, to be put to death, we will be put out of service for the Lord. It's why God brings suffering, difficulty, and hardships into our life. It's because those things help us to crucify the flesh. They help us to put the flesh to death. Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. That doesn't mean wear a cross. No, it meant die to yourself. We, we might say, take up the electric chair and follow Christ. Die and do it every day. Don't get in the way of what God wants to do. If you desire to demonstrate the life of Jesus, that's what he talks about here in these verses. That the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. Verse 10, the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. Verse 11, verse 12, death is working in us, but life in you. This life that he's talking about is the life of Jesus, the light of Jesus, this treasure And if you desire that life to be flowing through you, it comes through death to self. There is no abundant life apart from death to self. We like to talk about the abundant life. Philippians 3.10 The power of the resurrection. I mean, that's a great title for a message. A great title for a best-selling book. God wants you to have The power of the resurrection. I can see it now. I can see it at the Christian bookstore. It's on the end cap. It's the next best seller. The power of the resurrection. God wants you to be healthy. God wants you to be wealthy. God wants you to be prosperous. God wants you to have friends and have power. Live your best life now. That is the concept of today. Right? But how often do we see death to self? as a best-selling book. Not very often. Man, the old guys back in the 1800s, they loved to write about it. You read like a book by Roy Hessian called The Calvary Road. That's a book that will change your life. You read Andrew Murray, Humility and Brokenness. That's what it's about, you guys. I mean, I, I don't want to say 
you know, anything negative about these guys today that are talking about that you're the champion, find the champion in you, live your best life now, it's all about you, power, this, health, wealth. You guys, that's not Jesus' message. Jesus' message to you is that you need to die, that I need to die, that we need to take up the cross and follow Him. Where we got off on all this other stuff, it's called it sells. It's called it fills stadiums. It's called it's more palatable to the masses. Because when Paul says the power of the resurrection, he says that it comes by the fellowship of his sufferings and being conformed to his death. That brings a new twist on it. If you want the power of the resurrection, then you're going to have to be conformed to His death. You're going to have to take up the cross and follow Him. That's true life. That's the abundant life that God has for us. It comes through the cross. You remember the disciples, they came to Jesus and they said, Jesus, we want to sit on your right and we want to sit on your left. It was a noble request. I think their hearts were right. They wanted to be close to Jesus. But Jesus said, that's fine, but it will come through suffering and it will come through death to self. Well, let me pray about it. Let me think about that for a little while. It puts the onus on us. Do you really want it? How badly do you want it? Do you want the abundant life? It comes through death to self. And you guys, this not only applies in ministry, but this applies across the board in your life. If you're having marital struggles, it's because the flesh isn't crucified. It's because one or both of you are saying, well, he's not meeting my needs, or she's not accomplishing what uh, I thought that she would accomplish for me. Or you fill in the blanks of what they're not doing for you. And it's, it's you that's in the way. You've got to die. If you're having struggles at work, it's because the flesh is dominating your life. If you're bitter against other people, it's because you thought you deserved better. You guys, dead people don't deserve anything. They don't ask for stuff. They don't have a lot of agendas. Every problem that we have in our life, it can go back to the flesh getting in the way of what God wants to do. What are the issues in your life right now? Trace it back. Find out how you got off the cross in that area of your life and get yourself back on the cross. Crucify the flesh. Don't worry about how you're being treated. Don't worry about what that person thinks of you. Don't worry about the way that person talked to you. Crucify the flesh. Die to yourself. You guys, this is as much for me as it is for any one of us. If I want to be an effective pastor, I've got to die daily. I've got to get out of the way and let God do His work. Well, the third thing is Paul's keys to continuing in ministry. Because maybe after reading Paul's description of a minister, 
in verse 7, you know, that we're just clay pots. We're just kind of throwaway, replaceable, fragile pots. And, and then his personal experience in ministry, all the trials and troubles and tribulations that he went through, and that we need to die to ourselves and we need to get out of the way. Maybe you're thinking to yourself, well, this is, this is too difficult. I mean, how do you keep going? How did Paul keep going? How do you press on amidst all those trials and all that suffering? Because if you look around at ministries and at ministers, oftentimes people quit. They get burnt out. The, the pastor that led me to the Lord and that discipled me, an amazing guy. But you know what? He got his eyes focused on people too much. And it became about them. It became about what they were doing. It became about how they were treating him. And he got burnt out. And he quit ministry. And now he's divorcing his wife. A, a phenomenally gifted man who I hold in such high regard. I don't care the things that he's done because I, I know the impact he had on my life. But the thing is, you guys, is that he allowed himself to come off the cross and he allowed himself to become the focus. And it ruined his life. How do we continue in ministry? How do we not end up like the next person who is burnt out, who quits? You know how many times I've heard that? Oh, I'm burnt out. I'm tired. If you burn out, there's a problem. You weren't doing something right. You should never be burned out serving God. It should be the greatest thing that we ever do. So how do we continue? How do we press on when it gets difficult? Because it will get difficult. You're not always going to, to get the strokes, to get the compliments. It's not always going to be what you thought it would be. How do you continue on? Well, first Paul says he continued in faith. Verse 13. And since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believed and therefore I spoke. We also believe and therefore speak. I think there's a twofold application here, but I think the second is really the idea of what Paul is saying. I mean, certainly Paul's talking about faith in God. He's saying if you want to continue in ministry, you need to have faith in God. The just shall live by faith. Grow stronger in your faith. Come to know Jesus more intimately. Be acquainted with Him better in your life. But I think the real idea behind what Paul's talking about that he continued in faith is faith in the message. Paul is quoting Psalm 116 here. And there David was in the midst of trials. There David was at the point of death. And David said, I believe, therefore I spoke. In other words, when you truly believe the message that you're called to share, then it doesn't matter what happens to you. You can't hold it back. You can't quit. Because it's, it's very life to you. It's your next breath. It's that important to you. Jeremiah was an amazing guy. Jeremiah was mightily used by the Lord even though he never had one convert. 
because Jeremiah was faithful to do what God called him to do. Jeremiah was faithful to prophesy to the southern kingdom of Judah in the midst of rebellion, in the midst of serving false gods. And, and God told Jeremiah, look, I'm going to judge these people with the nation of Babylon. They will be judged. But I want to give them an opportunity to repent. And so for years, Jeremiah preached and he prophesied and he ministered to the people. And at one point, they threw Jeremiah in prison. In fact, what it was was an old well. A dingy, dark, damp well. And it says that they threw him down in there and Jeremiah sank in the mud. Sank in the mud. And I think that was not only literal, it was figurative as well. I think he had just sunk in the mire of his own trials and difficulties. It was just like he he said, I quit. In fact, that's what he said. He said, I said to myself, I will never preach again. I'm done. I'm through. This is too hard. But then in Jeremiah chapter 20, Jeremiah says this, verse 9, The Word of God burned in my heart and I could not hold it back. He believed the message so powerfully that it didn't matter what happened to him. He was going to share it. It was that important to him. He believed it. Therefore, he spoke. That's how we continue in ministry. Is you believe it. You believe it with all your heart. And nothing will ever detract you from sharing it. Now, if you don't believe it with all your heart, then it will become very apparent. And when things get tough, you'll quit. But if you believe it with all your heart, with all of your soul, it's like your next breath, then when times get tough, you won't throw in the towel. You'll press on. second way that Paul continued is he continued with an eternal perspective. Look at verse 14. Knowing that He who raised up the Lord Jesus will also raise us up with Jesus and will present us with you. Paul knew that his sufferings were temporary. He had an eternal perspective. And he knew that upon death, he would enter into eternity of rest and joy and blessings and safety and peace. He knew that was coming. He couldn't wait for that to happen. But he knew that in the meantime, he was to minister, no matter what happened. You guys, at the most, we're going to live 70, 80, 90, maybe 100 years if you're really unlucky. You know? But that, that's, the, that's the most that you're going to live. It's not very long. I mean, I think about that. I think my life is almost half over. I can remember, it seems like yesterday, playing G.I. Joe's with my friends in the dirt in my backyard. It's so vivid to me. I remember riding my bike down the street and then bailing off of it and seeing how far it would go and having it crash into people's cars. It was like yesterday. And yet here I am, 31, two kids, married for 10 years. And 
Life is short. The Bible says it's a vapor. And we've got plenty of time, you guys, to rest, to relax, to enjoy life. It's called heaven. But right now we're called to serve. Right now we're called possibly to suffer. Right now we're called to do what God's put before us. And no matter what the cost, we've got to press on. Because we'll enter eternity soon. And that's when we can rest. That's when we can enjoy life. And we'll talk about this in a lot more detail next week as we get into chapter 5 with... Um, don't, I'm not done yet. I hear Bible zipping up. we got one more point. we got one more point here, folks. Okay? But we're going to talk about that particular point in a lot more detail next week. I am almost done. But the third thing that Paul was able to continue in and I think this is my favorite. He says, I continued in faith. I continued with an eternal perspective. But I also continued with a heart for people. And look at what he says in verse 15. For all things are for your sakes, that grace, having spread through the many, may cause thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God. If you're a person that likes to underline, underline that phrase, all things are for your sakes. Paul says, I continued in ministry because I had a heart for people. Because I loved people. And here's where a lot of ministries and ministers fail. There is no genuine love or concern for people. And so when things get hard, you bail out. If it's just a job, if it's just, you know, well, I mean, they need help over there in the Sunday school or they, they need help, you know, handing out bulletins. So I think I'm going to do that, but I really don't like people. If that's your heart, then, you know, after a couple of months in the nursery and you don't get any thanks, you're going to say, you know, I've been watching those snot-nosed kids for a, two months now and not one parent has said thank you to me. I haven't got any gift certificates, you know, yeah, I see those gift certificates for Ryan over there on the table, but where's mine? I'm not getting any. I'm not getting any strokes. I'm not getting any compliments. This isn't what I thought it would be. If that's your perspective, then you're going to quit. But if your perspective is, man, I want to just love people. I want to love those little kids. And I want to love their parents in such a way that they can be ministered to more effectively. If that's what's going on, then when you don't get a thank you, when you don't get a gift certificate, in fact, you get criticized, then it's not going to matter because you're doing it out of love and out of a heart. First of all, for God, but then for His people. Paul had a heart for people. In chapter 3, he says that the Corinthians were written on his heart. They were written on his heart. This is essential to continuing in ministry, to moving forward in ministry. It's essential. Paul says, I, I had faith in the message. I believed what I said. And that helped me continue. 
Paul said, I had an eternal perspective and that helped me continue. But Paul said, I had a heart for people. It was for them. It was for their sakes. Paul saw every trial, every hardship, every bit of persecution as a way to more effectively share the gospel and allow the light of Christ to shine through his clay pot. It was for their sakes. You guys, that's what I want our ministry to be about. I want our ministry to be about ministering to people. I don't want it to be about me. I don't want it to be about any particular ministry that we're doing. I just want Jesus to show up and minister to people. I want people to sense that they're loved and ministered to here. I don't want to just come here every week and sing a couple songs and give another Bible study. I'm not happy with that. I'm not content with that. It's not what God's called me to do. What I want to do is minister to people. Have Jesus show up and minister to you guys and bless you guys. And I hope that's your heart. As you say, I want to be a minister. And I have such a love and a concern and a care for people that I want to show up and I want to minister and I want to be a part of that. I don't want to just come here, you guys, to fill up a quota so that we can say we go to church. So You know what? There's lots of churches that just want to fill up the seats. And I don't care about that. It's not what my desire is at all. And you know what? There's people that leave this church that say there's too much focus on serving or there's too much emphasis on, on, you know, personal, uh, you know, stuff and, and, and just, you know, too much application. I, I just want to kind of go and, and do my own thing. I don't want to be challenged all the time. You know what? Hey, I don't want people here that aren't being ministered to. I don't want people here that aren't being blessed. I don't want to just fill up a bunch of seats. That's not what I'm called to do. I can tell you that right now. What I want is to have a church where Jesus shows up and He ministers to people and where the people show up to minister to people. Do you understand what I'm saying? Guys, that's what it's all about. All things are for your sakes. It's amazing. Unbelievable concept. You can dwell on that for the rest of your life. The heart that Paul had for people. I don't know that I have that heart. I I, I don't know that I do. I want to have it. And I want you to have it. And if you do have it, it will continue to keep you in ministry. But if you don't have it, you'll give up when things get tough. Let's stand and pray together.